to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we've brought back John Pitney, who has been kind and generous enough to provide a series of checklists and procedures for AGLCA members. Um, Those are now on our website. Um, If you're a member, you can go to the members area and then to the documents folder, and you'll see a folder there for checklists and procedures. And those were provided by John. Uh, John is a gold looper, and John, we certainly appreciate that. Uh, Before we do get to the topic at hand today, which is going to be procedures for heavy weather, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral Level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. John Pitney, welcome back to Great Loop Radio. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure to be here and um, looking forward to to talking about heavy weather. Yeah, and a a few weeks back we covered um, proper procedures for using your VHF radio during times of emergency. Um, So kind of following on the idea, and for those who didn't listen to that, John, kind of um, explain to us what your checklists are and what they were designed to do. Absolutely. Um, I spent quite a bit of time in the Navy and part of my indoctrination was that uh, it always was good to have a checklist of items to uh, review even in emergency situations. Now certainly uh, there are actions that have to be taken very quickly and you can't take time to go look them up in the manual and those you you should have committed to memory Uh, such things as, you know, pull back the throttles when you hit something or immediately, you know, put a fire extinguisher on a fire. But uh, after the initial actions are taken, it's often, there often is time to kind of assess the situation and think of things that you should be doing. And many times this is not a good time to rely on your memory. So I started coming up with these checklists and trying to distill lots of information from many different sources that I was reading, primarily over the wintertime when I didn't have anything else to do, um, and distill it into one or two pages that I could keep with me at the helm, and that's kind of the the genesis of uh, these lists. Right, and they're very simple to follow bullet points. Um, And we, uh, thanks to John providing them to us, we have put them on the website. We've left them in a um, Word document format. And the reason for that, even though PDF is a little bit more standard, is that with the Word documents out there and available to members to download, you can then take these and customize them for your own boat. Because, of course, everyone's equipment's a little bit different. Everybody's home station's a little bit different. Um, and, And having these here... Um, you know, John even has them to the point where he includes what to say on, on the VH radio, which includes his vessel name. And of course, that's something you would want to customize. So um, definitely take a look at those on the website. Today, we're going to focus on the procedure for heavy weather. So um, why don't we start, uh, John, just from the beginning? Um, how would you define heavy weather and when would you implement this procedure? All right. Well, 
the definition, I, I really haven't found a clear definition of what the term heavy weather might be. I think it very much depends on your boat and your crew's capabilities and what kind of experience you have. Um, you can certainly uh, run into heavy weather on the inland waters uh, like we did down on Kentucky Lake uh, one afternoon uh, or certainly out in the, the ICW or out in the open water, the Lake Michigan, wherever. So it's uh, universal in that you can have that kind of weather any place you are. But um, we had criteria aboard our boat that said that at any time the winds were 15 to 20 knots or greater, wave height uh, greater than three feet, uh, particularly on your beam, then we would consider that to be uh, bad weather to be boating in and probably stay in port. The, the biggest remedy that you can possibly have to combat uh, heavy weather is not to be out in it. So uh, make sure that uh, you know what the weather forecast is going to be before you go out. And there's a lot of sources that can help you do that uh, over the radio, over the internet, uh, lots of different things that you ought to have uh, to depend on to make that decision. And we always had the, the rule aboard our boat that both the captain and the admiral, if you will, were not agreeable as to the conditions. Uh, we would not venture out. So um, once you are in unexpected weather, and that's kind of why I wrote this procedure, is saying, you know, we got out there and unexpectedly we're running into some bad weather. Uh, then we need to take these procedures and take these actions. Certainly one of them you want to be aware of is while you're out on the water, have some way of determining uh, what the weather is around you, whether it's uh, NOAA weather radio, whether you have an app on an iPhone or an Android phone that shows you the radar, the radar picture, whether you have XM weather satellite that shows up on your chart plotter, you need some way of determining your situational awareness when it concerns weather. And um, people should not uh, venture out without some way of doing that. Um, certainly, whenever warnings are issued, like uh, small craft warnings, those are, <laughs> that's a key indicator that uh, something is, is bad is about to happen. Uh, certainly wouldn't want to go out with small craft warnings uh, being uh, forecasted. But if you get out there and all of a sudden you find yourself in a small craft warning situation, then is when you need to take some of these actions that we're going to be talking about. Certainly any sudden increase in wind speed or change in direction should get your attention immediately and start you thinking about these things. Uh, or just in general, whenever you feel uncomfortable, out on the water because of uh, your boat's uh, condition or its capability to handle what you're seeing uh, or your crew's capability, then that's the time to start thinking about these procedures. Okay, so let's jump into the procedures. Um, the first steps have to do with being prepared um, because if, if you realize that this heavy weather is coming, you do have some time to prepare yourself and your crew and your vessel. So talk about what we should do to prepare everything. Right. Well, first off, uh, if it really looks like 
you're going to get into a heavy blow or heavy uh, uh, wave action. Certainly, I would put everybody in life jackets, make sure everybody's got their shoes on. Uh, meet with your crew and explain the situation. Try to reassure them. Uh, make sure they know what to do and what not to do. Uh, when the extreme weather hits, uh, make sure they know to keep low in the boat. If they have to move around at all, uh, do not rem move around unless you absolutely have to. Uh, don't go out on deck, particularly not at night, without some kind of tether in place. Um, if you can, uh, give them some kind of an assignment to keep them busy. Maybe it's uh, comfort the pets on board or uh, keep watch to the stern, stern of the ship or if they know how, to have them uh, be the radar watch to watch for other ships. But uh, have that little talk before you get into the, the heavy weather itself. If you're anticipating... Um, Restricted visibility, turn on your navigation lights. Rig a radar reflector if you have one. Probably more applicable to uh, sailboats, but sometimes uh, I've seen cruising boats with them, and uh, power boats with them as well. Uh, secure all loose gear above and below decks. Put away small items and lash down the larger ones. Just to give you a, an idea, we were running in uh, Lake Michigan on our loop trip with some friends. And they had an aft cabin trawler style boat, got into some fairly large seas, and uh, they ended up with their several pieces of their salon furniture in the aft cabin. They, uh, the furniture was <laughs> not tied down, and it just got rocked uh, and went down the steps and ended up down there. Wow. So um, until you take a 20-degree roll or so, it's hard to realize what large pieces of equipment or furniture may not really be tied down on your boat. Um, this goes for refrigerators, ice makers, freezers, whatever. Do you really know how they are tied or screwed into your, your deck? Or are they screwed in at all? So these are things to keep, uh, keep in mind when you're looking for things to tie down. Uh, close and dog all your hatches and windows. If you've never really been in big water and haven't had water hitting your windows uh, at high speed, then you may not know whether they leak or not. Um, a good thing to have on board is shrink wrap, wrap tape, shrink wrap tape. And uh, it's white tape, very sticky, and it's strong. Uh, it's easy, easy to uh, mold into the right shape, and it doesn't leave the kind of residue you find when you use uh, duct tape. And it's waterproof, so it's good to have on board. You can buy it uh, on Amazon anywhere. Um, remove all the loose items from the cockpit and all your decks. Tie down all your fenders. Make sure they don't get away. Um, if you have an enclosed flybridge, you might want to consider opening the side curtains to reduce the amount of windage area that you have exposed if you're, if you're expecting... Uh, a high amount of wind. Of course, I wouldn't do this uh, unless I had another helm station to go to down below. And also, um, uh, if you don't have something to cover up your helm station and the flybridge with, I would uh, try to protect it from the elements and keep those curtains down. Um, tie up your dinghy, life raft if you have them. Make sure the covers are secure. Bring any bow cushions you might have. Uh, if you have motion sickness, 
pills on board or some kind of remedy, go ahead and distribute that. Uh, many of the motion sickness remedies require you to actually take them hours before you you need them. So uh, if you can anticipate their need, all the better. Uh, put on appropriate foul weather gear. Uh, if you're going to be outside on deck or perhaps an open cockpit of a sailboat, uh, goggles might be in order. Uh, to reduce the wind-driven rain effect on your eyes. Um, on our boat, uh, we have an exposed bow thruster joystick, and believe it or not, when it gets wet uh, just a certain way, it can short out and cause the bow thruster to run. So uh, we're, may, we're very cognizant of that and make sure that we have that all covered up. And there may be, may be other parts on other boats that would have the same problem. Uh, make sure your anchor is ready to let go. If you lose propulsion for some reason, and uh, certainly one of the the uh, methods that you might do that is you get out in big water, your boat's bouncing around, you're stirring up your fuel tanks uh, to the point where all the debris in, in the fuel tank is sitting at the bottom, gets stirred up, clogs up your, your strainers, and your engines die. So at that point, uh, particularly when you're really rocking and rolling, you're probably not going to be able to go down and uh, replace your filters very easily. You might think about going ahead and uh, putting out your anchor in a safe location and using your engine, if you still have it, uh, to lessen the effect of the uh, pull on your anchor. Try to keep the slack on your anchor road as much as possible under heavy wind conditions. Um, monitor your local NOAA weather radar, XM satellite radar, or any kind of uh, radar indication you might have on board, whether it be your own radar system or, uh, say, a uh, weather radar on a smartphone. Monitor that to see if you might discover a path around the storm. If you can head west and the storm is heading south and you can get out of its path, all the better. Uh, and certainly keep a good watch for other boats and debris, particularly in the low visibility you might find yourself under. Another thing that we typically did, particularly in open water, and by that I mean the large lakes, uh, outside passages along the ICW, doing the crossing down there in Florida, just any place where you can't immediately get within shelter of land, I would have a ditch bag ready on your helm station. Uh, when we did the loop, we found that many loopers didn't really know what a ditch bag was, and we always encouraged them to have one ready. It's simply a, a large plastic bag that's made out of uh, heavy-duty plastic that can float if you have air in it. And you, you put items in that bag that you would want to have with you should it be necessary to abandon ship, to get into your life raft or get into your dinghy or whatever. Uh, make sure that is ready to go as much as you can make it uh, if you anticipate that you're going to be in heavy weather and you have time to do it. So those are the kind of the preliminary things that, that you want to be doing. Okay. Um, let's take a break for a moment and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, I want to talk about what to do when the actual heavy weather does hit. So we'll talk about what to do if lightning is present and some details on how to maneuver the boat. We'll be back in just a moment. Okay. 
Green Turtle Bay Marina and Resort has consistently been voted a must-stop by loopers. It has earned the coveted five-anchor designation from Quimby's Cruising Guide. This full-service marina features over 450 slips. They are located at mile marker 31.5 on the scenic Cumberland River. Green Turtle Bay is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA, so join them and find your waterway of life. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Gold Looper John Pitney, and he is sharing with us some procedures for heavy weather. So, John, let's move on to what to do if lightning is present. Okay, great idea. Um, If lightning is present, and it often is in summer storms, uh, if you're counting 30 seconds or less between seeing the lightning and actually hearing the thunder, Chances are that uh, your boat could be struck by lightning. Uh, not that it's, it's a good probability of happening, but just be aware that there is lightning close enough to your location that you should be concerned about it. Of course, the old adage is that um, every five seconds of time between the time you see and the time you hear the thunder uh, equals one mile of distance. So keep that in mind. Uh, We lower our VHF mass to kind of give a a smaller target for lightning to strike. Get everybody below. uh, Stay as low in the boat as you possibly can and stay away from metal objects if you can. Uh, Along those lines, it's a good idea to wear rubber gloves when using your your helm wheel, particularly if it's made out of metal. Um, If you have a lower helm station, it's a good idea to get everybody down there. Make sure you have a procedure in place to transfer your operating station from your flybridge, let's say, down to your pilot house helm. Uh, Oftentimes, it's more than just uh, moving your own self down there. You've got to move equipment. Uh, uh, You might have binoculars up there. You might have uh, portable VHF radio you want to move down. You've got to get everything started down below. So make sure that everything's working there, then move your helm station down. Um, Another option that I've read about, and I've heard some people say it's probably not going to work, but that is to put a portable VHF radio and perhaps a portable GPS that you might want to have should your boat get stuck stuck by lightning and all your electronics are fried. Uh, You might put... So your portable equipment inside the microwave, believe it or not. Some folks seem, uh, seem to feel that it would act as a what's called a Faraday cage, which is an effective way to block uh, uh, your portable electronics from uh, being struck by lightning or being affected by the lightning bolt itself. So um, you might try that. Also, if you have a chart plotter, say one on your flybridge that you're not looking at at the time, and you can access the wires, uh, I would unplug all cables from it just just to isolate it electrically from any kind of a strike you might have. If you did have a strike, you might find that you could still use that chart plotter, whereas the other ones still connected up would would not be operable. So those are some things you might do for for lightning. Okay. And then moving on, you have some instructions for heading for a safe, ha- uh, safe harbor, and you also have instructions for holding station. How do you determine which of those to do, first of all, and then kind of explain what to do for each of those options? 
Right. Um, really, there are two possible actions when you're faced with with uh, heavy weather coming your way. And the first to head to Safe Harbor or a cove or at least get on the lee side or the sheltered side of a shore or an island. Um, the biggest question, is there time enough to do it? If you've got a line of thunderstorms coming your way and they're 10 miles away moving at 20 miles an hour towards you, they're going to be on you in, in what, half an hour. Uh, if at the same time you are 10 miles away from your marina and you can only do 10 miles an hour on your boat, then it's going to take you an hour to get back to your marina. So obviously you're not going to make it back there in time. So uh, you'd have to go to option B, which might be to hold station or stay where you are and try to ride it out. Uh, other considerations might be whether or not you're likely to have to transit through a um, uh, an inlet uh, with a lot of other people at the same time trying to get out of the way. Uh, we'd be likely to be finding missing channel markers or even hitting channel markers, running aground, hitting the breakwater, not being able to dock due to high winds at the marina. Uh, all those things have to be taken into account. Can your marina uh, offer you a fuel dock, for instance, to dock at, or some side tie that might not be as challenging to get into in a high wind situation if you get there in time? So all these things come into consideration. Um, if you're going to hold on station, then certainly you want to be in an area of not a whole lot of traffic. You want to be in an area that's relatively free of underwater hazards. Um, and if you do decide to hold on station, uh, you should probably broadcast a pon-pon message, a VHF uh, emergency radio message, pon-pon, pon-pon. And we have a procedure for that on the website as well. Uh, Broadcast this on channel 16 and 13, giving your location if you're near other vessels or are in a shipping channel. Uh, this helps other boats uh, see who you are, where you are, and perhaps the larger vessels will not be heaving to or holding station. They'll be continuing to try to get into port, so you got to make sure that they see you one way or the other. Um, if possible, turn your boat into the wind, take the waves on, on your bow at a 30 to 45 degree angle. Uh, don't try to take them head on. Um, reduce the speed, your boat speed to reduce pounding. And of course, watch for other boats and floating debris. So you really have two possible actions there. Head back to your safe harbor, hold your station and try to continue making progress in the direction that you wanted to go. But um, in each case, you have to consider your own ship's capabilities and your cruise capabilities as to what is the, the best uh, uh, action for you to take. And, and that's a really good point, John, for all of these procedures and checklists is this is what John would do with his crew and his experience level on his vessel. But every captain really has to make these decisions for themselves. These are guidelines and suggestions um, for what John would do, but uh, please make sure you listeners on your own boat, kind of um, think these through and make your own decisions and, and modify them to what works for you. But with that in mind, um, John, any other tips? We've only got about five minutes left, but any other tips for heavy weather maneuvering? Should it come to that and should we need to do that? 
Yes, absolutely. There are some uh, techniques that can help you get through this situation. Certainly, we talked about one of them, taking waves on your bow at 30 to 45 degree angle. Um, if you still want to make progress in the direction you were trying to head to before you got into this uh, predicament, uh, you can try tacking the way sailboats do, uh, taking the waves at 25 to 45 degrees off your bow and then switching course and taking them off the quarter. You want to try to avoid taking them head on or taking them directly from your stern. Also avoid the highest crests as much as possible. Uh, you want to avoid those areas at all costs. Um, avoid traveling perpendicular to the direction of the wave. In other words, getting stuck in a trough going uh, perpendicular to the wave direction. Uh, this will cause your boat to have broadside uh, waves and cause you to be much more unstable than you might otherwise be. Um, uh, try not to take the seas from a stern if you can. Um, if that's unavoidable, you can minimize the danger by tacking once again, taking them from, oh, 15 to 20 degrees off uh, the stern direction. And... Uh, Try to, try to use as much angle as possible. You may have to in order to keep the boat from uh, yawing too much. A yaw is when the stern is pushed forward kind of ahead of the bow, if you will. It's uh, not a good situation to get into. Um, always try to ride the back of a swell, never the front or the face of a swell. And you can do this by adjusting your throttles. Uh, don't let the boat go over the crest of a swell if you can possibly avoid it because that's where you get into situations of broaching and pitch pulling. And pitch pulling is where the, the bow of your boat uh, starts going down the swell, digs into the front, the front digs into the water, and the stern of the boat goes head over heels over the bow. Not a good situation at all. So you want to stay off that face if you possibly can. Um, if possible, if the stretch of water between the wave crests is longer than the boat, position your boat between the crests and keep an eye on a uh, head and a stern. Uh, you can just kind of ride it out in between there if your crests are, are way far apart. Don't oversteer. Don't overcorrect. Make small changes to your helm and throttle to keep you where you want to be. Um, if you have to turn, wait for a series of smaller waves and then use both your rudder and your throttle to turn as quickly as you can to, get, to keep from being broadsided by the wave, direction of waves. Turn very fast and use your engine and your throttle to do it. And one last thing that I had here was, and I forgot where I actually found this uh, particular rule of thumb, but if you measure the waterline length of your boat, that's not the overall length, but the length of your wetted area down at the water, and take 20% of that distance, that's the approximate wave height. By wave height, I mean not only the swells, but the wind waves on top of the swells. That's the wave height above which your boat might be at risk should you get broadsided by that size wave. So in our, in our condition, our boat, uh, that's 8 to 10 feet of broadside waves in our boat satisfaction uh, might have the chance of uh, broaching or, or being capsized. So the, if, if you can figure that value for your boat, then you'll have some kind of a 
uh, number there to uh, to watch out for should you be in a situation where you're being broadsided by waves. So that's the, the highlights of it. A lot more detail on the website, and uh, hopefully most folks will never have to use these. I agree, and I think you started out with some great advice, John, which was stay put if the weather does not look um, like it's conducive that day to safe passage. And uh, you also mentioned that um, you and your wife, if, if one of you doesn't want to go, then you don't go. And I've heard that from some couples before. It's basically the veto power of one. If one person is not comfortable with the weather for that day, the boat stays put. Uh, but with that said, um, as you said, John, there are some times where there can be some pop-up heavy weather. Uh, so we do need to be prepared for this. And I think the John's checklists and procedures are a great way for some uh, people who are newer to boating or newer to the boat that they currently have and are considering the loop. Um, it's a great way to just come up to speed and really think through what you would need to do in situations like this, even if the exact procedures don't work for you. Um, and in this case, I know we kind of threw a lot of details at you right there towards the end. I would suggest going to the website, um, greatloop.org, go to the members menu and pick documents. And in there, you'll find a folder for checklists and procedures. Download this one, um, you know, possibly print it out and sit there and, and look through the bullet points while you're playing back this podcast, um, because I think viewing it will really help you understand what John was, was running through there at the end, where there was kind of a lot of information. Um, we are just about out of time. John, any last thoughts before we close it out for today? No, I, I think you covered it well. Um, I guess my philosophy with having these checklists aboard was that uh, having something was better than having nothing at all. If I got into a situation that was not your typical everyday situation, I think somebody on the blog not too recent, not too far ago was uh, talking about being prepared for that uh, bad day, if you will. And this was my approach to doing that, just having something that I could go to after those immediate actions are taken to check to make sure I haven't forgotten something or uh, to do something that might not come to memory. Plus, just the act of putting them together uh, makes you a lot more aware and puts a lot more in your memory than you would otherwise have. So I think they're a good thing to have uh, if you're inclined to want to, you know, put them together. I agree. And thank you, John, for sharing your time again today and, and for all of the checklists that are now on the website. We appreciate it. And we'll have you back again soon to talk about uh, some more of them. So thank you for, for that. We appreciate it. Um, and to our listeners, we thank you as well. We appreciate you being here. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. <laughs>